There are some stories in Jewish history that are so bizarre, so fascinating, so completely wild that they feel straight out of a movie. Join hosts Yael Steiner and Jonathan Schwab for Season 3 of Jewish History Nerds, a new season of intrigue, mystical realms, and bloody battles. Jewish History Nerds will keep you on the edge of your seat as you learn all about some of the craziest and most amazing, yet largely unknown stories that fill Jewish history books. Jewish History Nerds Season 3, hosted by Yael Steiner and Jonathan Schwab. Available wherever you listen. Listen to podcasts. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Are you ready to move your career forward? Make your comeback with Purdue Global and get college credit for your work, school, life, or military experiences. With these credits, you may have already completed up to 75% of your undergraduate degree. You've worked hard to get where you are. It's time to get the recognition you deserve and earn a degree you'll be proud of, one that employers will trust and respect. When you take the next step in your life and career, make it count with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. Hello, and welcome to Cool People Did Cool Stuff. I'm your host, Margaret Kiljoy. My guest today is... Sophie, who is this weird person on the Zoom call? I... It's, it's just... They're not weird. They're just garrison. I'm, I'm very normal. Very normal. Why would you think they're weird? It was the lime green ski mask. Oh. <laughs> is, it, is that weird? This is pretty normal for me. <laughs> Our guest today is Garrison. That's what their uh, Zoom name says anyway. I can't... Kick I can't shit. Die. Oh, op- OPSEC fail. Damn it, I forgot to sign out of my Zoom account. <laughs> Damn it. Our producer is Sophie Lichterman. Hi, Sophie. Hi, Magpie. Our audio engineer is Ian. Our theme music is written for us by Unwoman. And this is part two of a two-parter. And you know the drill. You are not allowed to listen to this until you listen to part one. If you do, Garrison will find you. And you'll see someone with a lime green ski mask. And it'll be the last thing you ever see. That is take it seriously. I I love that I've gotten much more mysterious since the first part. So that's good. It's true. Yeah. That was the adjective you picked, so it, it makes sense. Not ever joyful. God forbid. Oh, wait, I'm killjoy. Okay, so this week... Yeah, well, yeah, come on. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> this week, we are talking about Judy fucking Barry, the Earth First and Labor Organizer and all-around badass who has just started organizing against logging in California by organizing the loggers themselves. And we're going to talk about how she did that. Judy, among others, they start a chapter of the Industrial Workers of the World, the anti-authoritarian radical labor union who rule, who we talked more about last September in an episode about the Spokane free speech fight when in the 1910s they organized loggers in the Pacific Northwest so effectively that the government started shooting them. This is unfortunately a decent gauge of the efficacy of your movement is the degree of violence to which the state resorts in order to suppress you. This new IWW branch has two goals. First, 
to bring environmental consciousness to loggers, second, to bring class consciousness to environmentalists. Well, and more than that, the IW's goal, IWW's goal here is to organize the loggers, just like literally organize them and fight for better working conditions. But the sort of like larger metaphorical goals are these other things. And the bringing of this organizing is to do that. And they were largely effective at this. They didn't like succeed outright, but they made a lot of progress. They made a lot of allies and they did a lot of fucking good shit, despite the fact that there were a lot of factors working to keep these two camps at odds. A couple weeks ago, we talked about Chico Mendes, the Brazilian organizer in the rainforest who went the opposite route. Um, He went from workers organizing to environmentalism and he got shot for it. And he has this quote that I didn't include last time, mostly because I couldn't source it and I still can't source it, but it's such a good quote that I'm going to say it anyway. He has this quote, environmentalism without class consciousness is just gardening. (laughs) Yeah. You're just like not actually going to get shit done unless you fucking uh, work together with your, you know, fellow working class people. And that's what Judy Berry and her friends are on about. And they did this in a lot of ways. Judy says the main way that they did it is just by fucking talking to people. Sometimes even the people that they were busy blockading, like they'd be like, no, you can't go log. Hey, tell me about your life. Tell me about how this company treats you. Like, and just like listen to people and hear them out and hear their problems Instead of these sort of condescending city kids with fancy degrees who've never stepped into the woods trying to tell them what to think and what to do. So don't like show up and be like, have you read the Marxism or whatever? It's, it's not an effective strategy. She also interviewed loggers on her radio show. At some point around there, around here, she gets herself a weekly radio show. The based fellow, fellow podcaster. We love to see it. Right. Fellow podcaster Judy Berry. And the way that she got her podcast is much like the way that you and I got our podcast. That's not actually true. Um, The only way I found describing how she got her podcast is someone who hates her describing it. So I don't know how true any of this is. But apparently a local radio station fired the only woman who had a talk radio station. So she stormed the radio station and wouldn't leave until justice was served. And in the end, the way that they were like, all right, well, fine. We'll just give you a weekly talk radio show. Just like, fine, fine, we'll let you on the radio, just leave us alone. Yeah, exactly. And she's actually a really good podcast, I mean, radio host. I listened to one of the episodes that she did where she is interviewing a logger, and she's interviewing this logger because this logger wrote a letter critical of Earth First um, and a letter also critical of old growth logging all at once. And so she was like, all right, like, I'll talk to you, you know? Yeah. And so a lot of loggers even once critical of Judy and Earth First, realized they were also critical of Maxim and clear-cutting. And like, because they're not idiot. Like, they're not, they're, they're intelligent people. It kind of threatens their job security. <laughs> yeah, and they know it. And sometimes they just like, well, my back's to a wall. What am I going to do? Yeah. You know? But like, yeah, people are like, oh, this clear-cutting, that's a bad development in things. Um, and so Judy gave a voice for, to these people by publishing their writing in environmentalist newspapers, by talking to them on a radio show, and loggers who don't like, who like won't cut old growth, who won't take jobs if they involve cutting old growth, become a thing. And now it's time for a personal story anecdote. One time in like 2003 or four or something, I was working with, um, I was working to blockade this old growth timber sale in Southern Oregon. And one morning the loggers, they get around our blockade and me and two other folks are like yelling at them, probably like, don't log old growth, but maybe less politely than that. I'm not sure. And one of the loggers is like, well, what the hell do you do for a living? 
And we like all thought for half a second. And I was like, well, I'm a landscaper. And then the other two people I was with were like, we're, we're loggers. Because that's like what people don't, like a fuck ton of earth firsters are foresters, loggers, whatever. Like people who work in the forest for a living care about the forest quite often, you know, and like the loggers that I was working with in that particular time were people who refused to cut old growth. So the loggers, they were taken aback and they were like, you're on the wrong side. And we were like, no, you're on the wrong side. Um, it was not a very generative conversation. And then they quit their jobs. They joined us. We all had beers and became friends. That part isn't true. They went up the mountain and illegally logged old growth and we failed at stopping them. And that particular timber sale was in a state, like no in-state logging company would touch it because everyone who lived within a fucking hundred miles was like, what the fuck? We're not going to cut that fucking forest. Like, fuck's wrong with you? And so they relied on bringing people from out of state. Almost done with a personal anecdote. When I went back to work a couple weeks later as a landscaper, my boss was like, Magpie, you don't have to come into work today. We're cutting down a tree and I don't want you to be sad. And I was like, no, I'm a, I'm a big kid. I can handle taking down a tree. I just don't want to fucking log old growth forests or clear cut at all. <laughs> it was just like a pine tree that was like maybe going to fall in someone's house in the suburbs of Portland. Like, whatever. <laughs> that, is, that is an interesting perception of people's critiques of logging. I know. It was very sweet that my boss was like, you don't have to come into work if you don't want because we're going to kill a tree or whatever, you know? So Judy Berry is on that tip, not the whatever, on the like actually cares about workers tip. She organized the industrial workers of the world, world local. And soon she's like meeting with mill workers and loggers and shit separately and helping them organize. And it's not just Earth First organizes loggers, it's loggers organize themselves with the help of an Earth First organizer. And, uh, and they fight for union type shit, but they got to do it all secretly. Louisiana Pacific, another logging company in the area, they had a PCB spill, some toxic chemical shit, polychlorinated biphenols. No one knew that they had any recourse, but Judy filed a complaint with Cal OSHA and they won compensation for the workers. Um, and this helped, this helped her cred, right? But all the organizing is secret because none of these logging companies are union and so they got to keep it all under wraps, um, which unfortunately means that's a part of her legacy that's often overlooked. And... As I read, together with some workers, she got the county to claim 300,000 acres from, a, from Louisiana Pacific to put into public hands and keep safe. And now let's talk about the most contentious tactic around this time. We're going to talk about tree spiking real quick. We're going to get into tree spiking discourse. This discourse mm -hmm. is still going on, Margaret. I'm not going to talk about modern discourse. I don't touch modern discourse. I'm a historian, <laughs> a pop historian. You only touch 30-year-old discourse. Yeah. This is newer than I like talking about. I'm so nervous to release this because it's about people I like care about and shit. You know, like I like writing about dead people. Um, but tree spiking, I am not going to give you instructions. It is a crime and it has complicated ethics. In the early 80s, Earth First advocated tree spiking or some individuals amongst it did or whatever the fuck. The basic idea was that a metal or ceramic rod or spike is inserted into trees, and then you put up warning signs everywhere saying these trees are spiked. If a chainsaw hits a spike, it can break the chainsaw and it can endanger the wielder. There were no known serious injuries or deaths caused by tree spiking until suddenly one day there was. In May 1987, a sawmill worker named George Alexander was nearly decapitated when the blade on his mill hit a spike and the blade broke. It, uh, it cut his jaw in half. This was not an Earth First related spike. Um, it wasn't an old growth tree. 
it also was added after the log was cut. It was like while it was waiting in the yard at the mill. Because huh. tree spiking, as done by the environmentalists, was done on public lands with huge warning signs and announcements because the goal was to minimize the economic viability of a public timber sale project to bring it down pa- below its like threshold of value. These old growth forests and these private forests, uh, it wouldn't have made much sense um, because the economics of private timber is completely fucking different. Least of all to do after the logs are cut because at that point you're not saving a tree and it was some 12-inch diameter tree. They don't know who spiked it. There's a bunch of people uh, guessing. There was like a crank in the area who very clearly spiked the trees on his property. I'm, I say crank, but this thing that he did, like he spiked the trees in his property because it was right next to um, timber, private timber land. And they were always known for like famously cutting the trees on the other side of the fucking, um, like cutting other people's trees illegally and just getting away with it. So he spiked all of his own trees and like put up signs and shit and said, I spiked all these. Um, so it probably wasn't even him. I don't fucking know. I don't know if I can spike this tree. As soon as this happened, some North Californian and Southern Oregon Earth First chapters renounced spiking as a tactic. And Judy Berry was a big part of this renunciation. And being her, she tracked down the injured worker, interviewed him, and published his words in a local newspaper and the Earth First Journal, and later the Industrial Workers of the World's website, the IWW's website, put it up. George Alexander was a 23-year-old. He was a second-generation lumber worker, and he had the most dangerous job in the mill. He was the off-bearer who make the first cuts through the log. They use a giant bandsaw designed to cut through old-growth redwood. And somewhat regularly, the off-bearer hits metal pieces, like from old fences and old nails and shit, because there are just pieces of metal in trees from people, like, fucking nailing a sign to a tree or whatever the fuck, you know? Yeah. So it's fairly regularly that the bandsaw blade hits these things, loses teeth, and so the workers wear, like, face masks. George feels quite strongly that the company and its disregard for its workers' safety is to blame. He was working with a blade that had already started to wobble and had cracks, so he complained about it, and his bosses were like, get the fuck back to work, we don't give a shit about you. Um, He thought about not going back to work because it was very dangerous, but he had a pregnant wife, it was the only work he knew, and he didn't have a union. So the bandsaw hit a spike, an 11-inch nail, and the blade broke, and it almost killed him. It cut his jugular. It ripped out 12 of his teeth. As he lay on the ground dying, I'm going to quote him about what happened next. I knew I was dying, and all I could think was Dick Edwards, the boss, and all the shit he gave me when I complained about the saw. I tried to get up, but they pushed me back down. I tried to beckon Edwards so he could come close enough for me to get my hands around his throat in a death grip. If I had to die, I wanted to take that bastard with me. And so his fellow workers saved his life. Someone stopped the bleeding, literally holding his veins together for a fucking hour before the ambulance arrived, while others used a blowtorch blow to free him from the 12-foot section of saw that was wrapped around him. From his hospital bed, he made his position clear. I am against tree spiking, but I don't like clear-cutting either. And this is the only documented injury as a result of tree spiking. Um, it's enough from my point of view. I guess I am entering into this discourse. It feels so clear to me that the powers that ought not be are working really hard to keep the working class from uniting. And to me, this this is a very resonant story about, I don't know, about this fucking guy, you know? Yeah. 
But as hard as she and some others were working to try and unite the working class, most loggers did not really like her or Earth First at all. And you get this whole fucking culture war thing. Northern California, most towns were either logging towns or hippie towns. Um, a small handful, because of hard organizing work, managed to have sort of a peace between the two. And the owners started organizing too, and this is a recurring theme on this show. The workers get a union. Why doesn't the right-wing management get a union? Or in this case, the Save the Trees and Treat Workers Okay group has a movement. Why can't the Fuck the Trees, Fuck the Workers group have a movement? So they, they make themselves a movement. 1988, you get what's called the Wise Use Movement, uh, or it gets its name, or it became more popular. I don't know. It's like fucking read a lot of different versions about exactly when it came into being, but we're going with 1988. It's a pro-extraction movement with a clever name. It's not about wise use. It's about fucking use up everything. Yeah. Because if it was wise use, it'd be chill. We talked on the Chico Mendez episode about how the workers in the Brazilian rainforest, they fought for extractive reserves where the forest is kept intact, but rubber is gathered naturally. And by and large, Earth First, even with its no compromise attitude, wasn't actually entirely against logging. They put together a 10-part program about how to do logging sustainably, which includes shit like no clear-cutting, no old-growth logging, you must leave wilderness corridors for wildlife to move through, milling jobs must be kept local, logged areas can't be turned into non-forested areas, etc. Super fucking chill. It, it sounds like an actual w- wise use movement. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and that's something that like, it would have taken me a while to understand when I first got involved, is that that is still part of a no-compromise attitude. Right, because it is not a compromise to allow humans to be part of the ecosystem. Yeah, humans have been building uh, shelters out of trees for yeah tens of thousands of years. Yeah, the wise use movement instead was the owner of big evil companies trying to get ranchers, farmers, miners, property owners, ATVers, etc., to fight against environmentalists, um, and to say that environmental restrictions were attack on the cultural values of rural people. It's what we call astroturf, a fake grassroots movement. And sadly, it's been very effective. Of course, every time some rich kid from the city tells a logger some ignorant shit, uh, the wise yeast movement grows some wings. I don't know, whatever. Yeah, you just you just set the ecological movement back decades. You yeah. 20, 20 year old from Seattle. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's like, I mean, I also get why people are like, fuck you, don't cut trees. I like totally get that. No, abs- absolutely. You know? Yeah. Um, but like, fuck your bosses for putting us in this situation is what will actually get us out of this shit. The wise use movement people, they use yellow ribbons as their sign, which is funny because like fucking 10, 15 years later, me and my friends are ripping yellow ribbons off of cars as part of the, you know, stop the invasion of Iraq and Afghanistan thing. And they tried to get the sawmill operator, the one who had been hurt, almost killed by the, by the spike. They tried yeah. to get him to go on tour denouncing Earth first and he refused. And I am guessing that Judy and other organizers making it clear that they were in solidarity with him is why he didn't go on tour denouncing Earth first. Yeah, th- this th- this is the one thing I know about this tree specking incident is that mm. the person did not turn into like an anti-Earth first campaigner afterwards. Right. They actually were kind of chill. Right. Yeah. And once he's healed, his bosses put him back on the night shift. They like he wasn't on the night shift, but they're like, fuck you, you're going on the night shift. We don't like you. And then they laid him off when the mill closed because they clear-cut everything. His quote about it was, LP, Louisiana Pacific, is just sorry I didn't die. Wild. Yeah. And I believe it. I believe that they were like, fuck, we almost had a martyr. Why'd you have to fucking survive? You know? Yeah. 
they they could have like drafted like legislation or something. Yeah, yeah. They they could have they could have tried a whole a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah, if they could use this person's like dead memory to to yeah. to continue their extraction. But fortunately, since he was able to speak for himself, he was able to be like, "Fuck tree spikes, fuck clear cuts," you know. Shit is heating up. Earth first is blockading the shit out of stuff. Loggers are getting angrier. Uh, Judy and some of the others are running interference like, hey, maybe you should have better conditions. But workers at this point are like shooting shotguns into the air. They knock a 50-year-old person out like out cold just by punching her in the face. People are like running into the crowd with chainsaws that are running like... What the fuck? Yeah, they're fucking mad. And they, they hang Judy Berry in effigy. Um, they hit people with axe handles. It's like a rough time, and it's like that's a, intense, yeah. And they're they're on the nonviolence thing, right, as a strategic move, and they hold to it. And you know, it is one way to build a movement is strategic nonviolence. And during all this, the feds are infiltrating like crazy. Uh, it's the whole COINTELPRO handbook um, for anyone who hasn't listened to anything that's happened fifty years ago. COINTELPRO is the counterintelligence program, the FBI, basically. Um, disrupting leftist organizations all throughout the 60s and frankly to the present day. They're like, in this case, they're sending letters claiming to be one Earth First organizer to another, like talking shit. They're sending in spies and provocateurs. They're using their spies to start paranoia by accusing other people of being spies and provocateurs, which is why it's always dangerous to talk about COINTELPRO is because you need to make sure people know that one of the things you have to not do <laughs> is talk about COINTELPRO so much that you then you spread this paranoia. Yeah. yeah. But it isn't stopping them. COINTELPRO does not stop Earth First. Uh, I like to think that their horizontal organizing structure help people like a lot in a lot of ways. Like since they're all equals, they're able to kind of more be like, hey, no, I didn't send you that letter, <laughs> you know? And they have a culture that despite all of these like these evolutions and arguments and people leaving, managed to overall not turn into hatred and actual fighting. And maybe that's my idealized take on it from like talking to folks, but it's what I believe. And the loggers are fucking mad. They're mad that they can't get the same deals that you all can get by doing... God, the ads are getting like worse. Like there's the okay. ad that's I, like... See, I wasn't even transition. sure if that was an ad break. I thought I was like, what type of deal does Earth First have? They're, they're not getting paid. Like, what yeah, is, no, what is, great <laughs> sales on um, bumper stickers. Earth First mostly sells bumper stickers, I think, at this point. T-shirts, you t-shirts. can, you can, yeah, you can subscribe to the journal. That's true. There's an actual ad. Go subscribe to the Earth First journal. Anyway, um, there's stuff you can buy stuff if you want. I don't fucking care. This episode brought to you by Green Balaclavas. Get yours today. Yeah. Otherwise, otherwise Garrison's going to be real easy to pick out. If you Every, don't get a lime green, has if you don't get a lime green balaclava, Garrison's <laughs> fucked. You don't want Garrison to get fucked, do you? Get a lime green balaclava. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. 
the all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Are you ready to share some joy and celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's has partnered with iHeart for Women Take the Mic treating you to the most uplifting and empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&Ms, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So grab a handful of that creamy deliciousness, kick back and spread some positivity into the world from smashing glass ceilings to breaking records in sports on stages and at the box office. Women are crushing it in every way imaginable. And with peanut butter M&Ms by your side, relax and keep listening to women take the mic podcasts as you dance your way through inspiring stories, share laughs and savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&Ms and the unstoppable force of women. Happy International Women's Day. You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global, you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employer's respect. It's time, your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. And we're back. And just like the loggers are mad, I hope that you all got everything you needed out of that. Okay, so in 1989, a logging truck slammed into Judy Berry's car and sent six people to the hospital, including four children. And it was a logging truck that Earth First had been blockading less than 24 hours earlier earlier it was very clearly a targeted attack and so the cops we have we've reason to believe that this was like an intentional an intentional thing yeah there's like no particular reason to believe otherwise okay unless you're the cops in which case you're like <laughs> sure sure huh, must just be a traffic accident even though like this is literally i think i think they got like photos of being like this is the same truck you know um and the cops never investigated it at all then in 1990 what gets called the timber wars are heating up California was set to vote on Proposition 130, which is basically a bunch of restrictions on logging in California, including a bunch of money for the state to buy old growth from logging companies. And it included compensation for loggers who would lose their work as a result because the people who make this actually care to some degree. I don't, I don't know as much the ins and outs of who wrote Proposition 30. It becomes a culture war issue. Yay, culture war, the thing that is designed to set one half of the working class against the other half. A lot of it was framed around shit like Save the Spotted Owl, right? Which is, you know, was not doing so well. And it lives in old growth redwoods, especially in the snags and the dead trees. So loggers started wearing shirts that were like, Spotted Owl tastes like chicken. <sighs> I can just imagine Twitter during this time. I mean, but this, this, this is such an... Unf- this is such a... I mean, th- this tactic is used all, all the time still. But yeah, re- reducing these things into little like... Little like, like uh, you know, just trying to like annoy the other person with 
with like distasteful jokes back and forth and that's what this these types of movements get like reduced to yep and it's a very effective tactic and it's yep it's fucking terrible yep but these clear-cutting companies they're like i don't even want to call them logging companies at this point they're like oh shit we might not be able to clear cut come fall so we should clear cut right the fuck now just a lot just clear cut the shit out of everything anticipating this Earth First and others, um, they're like, well, we just have to hold them off until the election, you know, until we, we can vote for this proposition. Save as much forest as we can. So they call for a summer of mass civil disobedience, nonviolent resistance, and they call it Redwood Summer. This is in the early 90s? This is 1990. Okay. Yeah. And I've had it described to me as Judy Berry's brainchild. Um, I've also read an article from someone saying that a, a different person came up with it, but either way, Judy Berry's one of the primary organizers. She wasn't the sole organizer, but she's a big part of it. Everyone, especially students, since you like don't have to do shit during the summer, please come here and chain yourself to shit and sit in trees and blockade roads and do all that stuff. Please, or we're fucked. Um, it's based on Mississippi summer from 1964 from the civil rights era. See our episode about the armed civil rights defense for more from that era of organizing. And it is Earth First and First Mass Action. Maybe I already said that. I don't know. Judy Berry, she's, she's organizing it, as well as her musical and, at some points, romantic partner, a guy named Daryl Cherney. He writes songs that annoy right-wing people, kind of like what you're just saying about how things get done to annoy the other side. He has songs like, Jesus Was a Mushroom, Will the Fetus Be Aborted, and <laughs> okay. Spike a Tree for Jesus. Okay, all right. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I'm sure the songs were pretty funny. But, yeah, they're funny. <laughs> but, but <laughs> they're not friend makers. <laughs> no, no. They're they're ones to put on with the people who are already on your side yeah. and laugh as you're like spending yeah. spending like an afternoon or a night together. Yeah. <laughs> and so they're running around the country and playing shows and recruiting people to come out. Um, but meanwhile, Judy is getting more and more death threats. Uh, they're sending People are sending her photos of her playing a show that someone took while stalking her, like crosshairs drawn over her face. Um, she showed all this shit to the cops, and the cops were like, we don't care. Look, I'll tell you what, we'll investigate if they kill you. How about that? I mean, it's also important to know, like, this was like, this was before like internet death threats. This was like, you, yeah. had, to, you had to doing work death threats were, were like a lot... The, yeah. there, there was a lot more threat implied with the death threat. I know. And you have to like be careful around like actual like, it was kind of before DNA forensics, but like actual like forensic shit because you're sending like physical things in the mail, you know? Yeah. yeah. And on May 24th, 1990, Judy and Daryl were in Oakland. They're staying at a Seeds of Peace house. This is, isn't the same organization as the current really cool organization called Seeds of Peace. This is an earlier Seeds of Peace really cool organization of rad hippies. They head out in Judy's car, a Subaru station wagon, because of course it's a Subaru station wagon. They're going to drive to Santa Cruz to play a show and recruit some college kids. They get in the car, they throw a guitar and the fiddle on the back seat, they start to drive off, and a bomb explodes under the driver's seat and fucks them both the hell up. Real fucking bad, especially Judy. Uh, it shatters her pelvis and her tailbone. She's in pain the rest of her life and has greatly reduced mobility. The FBI was there within 25 minutes because discovery shows record of them talking to Oakland PD or something within 25 minutes after the explosion. 
probably they were there way sooner within minutes or seconds, even though the Bay Area headquarters of the FBI is in San Francisco on the other side of the fucking Bay. It sounds like they were just surveilling them. Judy says it's almost like they were waiting around the corner with their hands over their ears. Huh. Huh. To spoiler it, we don't know who bombed Judy and Daryl. We might not ever find out. We do know that the FBI intentionally and maliciously bungled their investigation of the bombing that was proven in court. It's quite probable the FBI was directly involved in the assassination attempt and is generally accepted within the movement that the FBI was directly involved in the assassination attempt. There's a chance that it wasn't. Sure. But we'll talk about that. (laughs) The car explodes. They go to the hospital. They get arrested in the hospital on the charge of bombing themselves. (laughs) Ah, yes, that that classic Earth-first caper of blowing themselves up. (laughs) Specifically, they claim that they were transporting a bomb when it accidentally detonated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Immediately, the press is ready to jump on this accusation, and the headlines are basically like, dumb bitch blows self up. You know? Fucking vultures. Pieces of shit. Yeah. The press somehow, right away, has a picture of her holding an Uzi. Jesus. I've read this part described a bunch of ways, but as best as I can piece together, there was a guy in the movement they probably shouldn't have trusted. One day, they're all hanging out, and he's like, hey, you know what would be funny? I got an Uzi in the trunk of my car. Why don't we all take photos with it? Wow, what a great idea, random dude. And I think he was like actually part of the movement. Um, I'm just specifically not naming him because there's a chance that he's an infiltrator, but I don't know that. And so I don't want to name him. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, and it's possible that they were like, oh, that would be funny. We'll use it as an album cover photo because Daryl Cherney is working on an album with a kind of sick title. They sure don't make hippies like they used to. I mean, that would be such a metal cover. Yeah. So why not have a photo of a hippie with an Uzi? So they take photos. Lo and behold, the photos, which only that one guy had, what a weird coincidence. They end up mailed to the media as soon as the bomb goes off. That is... mm, mm, Curious. And I relate this story, not because I want to point fingers, but for the same reason it was related to me when I first joined the movement. If a guy gets you high and is like, yo, let's go take pictures of my illegal gun, wouldn't that be funny? The answer's no. Just just say no. Yeah, just say no to posing with illegal firearms. My opinion about posing with firearms, period, is like not incredibly positive. Um, but I understand the like necessity of why people choose to make certain decisions or whatever. But don't pose with a fucking Uzi. Um, D- don't take, maybe don't take a picture with it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You wouldn't take a picture with an illegal firearm. (laughs) (laughs) And so like, and so just don't trust the person who has you take this picture. Don't like point and be like, that guy's a fed. Um, Because in general, we should judge actions like, you know, hey, we're in a movement with this and this guy wants me to take pictures with an Uzi. That's an action that isn't good rather than that's a man who is an ex, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, It's just a way to kind of minimize the way that COINTELPRO tears us apart through paranoia. But there's a picture of her with an Uzi. And the bomb entirely fucks up the solidarity work she's been doing, building a bridge between environmentalists and lumber workers. Not only is she a hippie, but she's a bomber, right? She's trying to fucking kill you, you loggers. And so the culture war continues. And during the first several months, the feds investigate 
zero people who aren't Judy and Daryl. That doesn't feel like a very a very solid investigation. I don't know. I I've done a few investigations <laughs> in my lifetime, usually usually against Nazis, and uh, that 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 doesn't sound like solid investigative praxis to to me. But, no, yeah. no. Uh, again, proven in court to be malicious. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> after for, after two months, they give up because and no charges are filed because there's literally zero physical evidence that the bomb was theirs. There is a lot of evidence the FBI and Oakland PD directly lied about the physical facts in the case. Like they claimed the bomb was on the back seat when it was under the driver's seat. That kind of shit. It's worth knowing about the bomb's construction just so you know there really isn't any chance that it was theirs. Um, there's no like wink, wink, nudge, nudge. They were secretly weather underground and we all don't want them. To, it's, it was not their fucking bomb. No, they, they yeah. It was... It was a pipe bomb, and it was an anti-personnel bomb. It was wrapped in finishing nails as shrapnel. And the supposed use that the that Earth First would have been using it for was property destruction, right? Not a personnel attack. So already yeah. fucking it's, out the window. That's not a property destruction weapon, yeah. It also had three different switches that all had to be activated for it to go off. First was a regular switch, like a... I don't fucking know what they made it with, but, you know, you switch a thing. And then it, that triggered a watch countdown for 12 hours. And then at the end of it was a motion sensor, basically a steel ball bearing that completes the circuit. So as soon as the car moves, then it blows up. Exactly. But yeah. it doesn't blow up if the car moves when it's near the bomber, because the bomber now has 12 hours to get away. They have 12 hours. Yeah. So not the kind, it is a bomb that is meant to blow up in a car, not a bomb that is meant to blow up at a sawmill or whatever the fuck that they no, try to claim. You're not throwing the bomb like, like no. a grenade. It's not. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So since they couldn't charge Judy for blowing herself up, the feds brought in their investigation. Finally. Are you excited? Are they going to do good? I'm, you think they're going to the do good? My, edge of my seat. They use it as a fishing expedition for more information about Earth First activists. Uh-huh. I, I, I bet they do. <laughs> Around this time, uh, a newspaper gets a letter taking responsibility for the action. Uh, it's almost certainly fake. Yeah. <laughs> it was probably sent by the, the bomber bombers to throw people off the scent, or it was a random crank who wanted to take responsibility for something they didn't do. And the letter was like, I wanted to kill her because God told me to because she supports abortion or whatever. But it's actually worth quoting because it's kind of a funny letter. I saw Satan's flame shoot forth from her mouth, what? her eyes what? and ears, what? proving what? forever. <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> Come on. Satan's flame shooting from her mouth. Uh-huh. Yeah. Her ears and her eyes. Yeah. Proving forever that this was no godly woman, no Ruth full of obedience to procreate and multiply the children of Adam Ugh. throughout Ugh. the world as is God's will. There's a lot of capital letters in here. You're going to be shocked mm. to know. Oh, I bet. I Let the woman learn in silence with all subjugation all subjection, but I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. Timothy 2-1. Great. <laughs> Incredible. Yeah. Is, is that is that a first or second Timothy? Uh, two, I don't know. Two colon one. That's what I got. Well, that's, well, that, that, yes, that is, that uh, is, what if, all right, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> no, I don't know. <laughs> I'll I'll look it up later just just so I have the personal assurance of which book of Timothy. Yeah, no, I really appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. 
later DNA evidence from the envelope reveals that it had two people's DNA on it. Like, I think one person licked the stamp and another person licked the envelope. That's, wow, what a, what a horrible decision. <laughs> I know. Well, okay, to be fair, I think DNA forensics wasn't a thing when this happened. It got DNA'd in, like, 2010. I'm making in that up, 2000s. like, 2012 or something. It was Yeah, it was probably in the 2000s. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, and it only happened once Daryl Cherney and some other people, like, insisted on trying to actually figure out who the fuck had bombed them. <laughs> yeah. So feds show up in Northern California, and they go to the newspapers, and they're like, all right, give us the letters that... To your editor, because you know they're trying to do an investigation. Give us all the letters to to the editor in support of Earth First, <sighs> so we can match typewriters or whatever the fuck forensics they do. It's really transparent. They're not looking at the letters the editor against the person who got bombed, even though a letter of the editor taking fucking credit had just fucking come through. I mean, this is the same thing with like, I don't know. This, this is something that that was definitely talked about a, a, a lot in Atlanta with how people are trying for how the state's trying to use like domestic terrorism charges and like any like credence or extra extra ability you give the state to like yeah. crack down against like mm-hmm. like right wingers or, or like 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 you know like the capital rioters whatever like any anything you give them is going to get used so much more against any any type of like left. Um, yep. like uh, environmental, social justice, racial, like like uh, racial justice movement. It's yep. all, uh, every sing- every single time. All of the gun laws, the domestic terrorism, char- gu- gu- gun laws. Yeah. G- great example. The domestic terrorism charges being used in Atlanta stem from a law created in part response to Dylan Roof. It's oh, every fuck, every yeah. every t- every time you give them like a little a little bit, it's always it's always going to u- get used so much so much worse. Yeah, against people who actually like threaten the status quo of how the state wants things to run yep which in ge- in general in general isn't the right wing <laughs> so the fbi never actually investigates the bombing they just don't and besides it would be a spider-man pointing itself meme moment if they investigated the bombing because here's my favorite part by favorite i mean i hate everything about this a month or so before the bombing the fbi ran a bomb school locally on car bombing what the fuck? <laughs> on specifically how to respond to car bombs they had it on louisiana pacific property the the company that hates earth first they practice blowing up cars with car bombs and the security personnel from louisiana pacific were invited to attend the event quote as security since it what? was their property so th- so <laughs> Were the FBI trying to teach them how to blow up cars? Like, is that man? I I am not. I mean, th- th- there's there's no way to know. For yeah, sure, but like, like theoretically, yeah. it is to teach feds how to respond to car bombing. Sure, but what you all should respond to is the subliminal programming of advertising. Sure. Fuck it. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. 
the all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Are you ready to share some joy and celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's has partnered with iHeart for Women Take the Mic treating you to the most uplifting and empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&Ms, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So grab a handful of that creamy deliciousness, kick back and spread some positivity into the world from smashing glass ceilings to breaking records in sports on stages and at the box office. Women are crushing it in every way imaginable. And with peanut butter M&Ms by your side, relax and keep listening to women take the mic podcasts as you dance your way through inspiring stories, share laughs and savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&Ms and the unstoppable force of women. Happy International Women's Day. You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global, you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employer's respect. It's time, your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. And we're back. I really enjoyed the hypnotode. I'm older I, than everyone. God damn it. I, yeah, okay. you are much, much older. It's an advertising thing from, I think, Futurama, where there's just a fucking mm-hmm. frog that goes mm-hmm. and hypnotizes yep, 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 you. Yep. Futurama uh, is, a, is, a, is a TV a show, cartoon, right? Yeah. Shut the fuck up, Garrison. I was like, how long is it going to take for them to remind us that we're old? Yeah. Uh, we, I, I waited you went, like you did. You over, did so like, well. Over ninety minutes. I'm I, so I proud get of some, you. I get this some is, this is a record. This is a gay record. I'm proud of you. You didn't even fall for the bait when I started off by saying how old I was in 1988. I know. I, I refused. Once you said when I was getting involved in 2004, I refused saying how old I was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is funny because the people I talk to about this are I'm I'm the gear to anyway, yeah because they're all much much yeah 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 okay so so the FBI has bomb school and bomb school and the security of the lumber company uh-huh. just watching the whole time yeah and then there's even like some oddly specific things like during bomb school they're like. And most car bombs are actually not inside the passenger cabin they're uh, under the car or in the hood, but then. Two of the three cars that they blew up, they put them in the pass in the passenger compartment, and that is where the bomb was in in Judy Barry's case. Also, the passenger it? compartment, like underneath the driver. Yeah, yeah. Well, passenger compartment okay. means like not outside the car, but inside the car. You know. Okay. And the guy who ran the bomb school, and for guess who showed up to respond immediately after their car blew up in Oakland 
Why? It was the guy who ran the car bomb school and four of his students. At which he said, he told his students, this is your final exam on the scene. Okay. This is so weird. This is so weird. This is like, this this is so weird. (sighs) It's so fucking transparent. And uh, Judy described it once. Well, you're either a conspiracy believer or a coincidence believer. <laughs> I mean, that, that's what I tell myself every time I look at a mountain. But this yeah. is this 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 is a lot. This is a lot more intense. Yeah. The chief investigator. Uh, okay, and I've read actually two different descriptions of who the chief investigator was, but I'm going with one of them. Uh, I think there's different types of investigators at different points. I don't know. A man named Richard Held, who headed COINTELPRO. <laughs> Um, great, great. Already off to a great start. Yeah, he he was personally responsible. It's the guy who I think was personally responsible for the arrest of Geronimo Pratt and Leonard Peltier. Um, per, yeah, let's <laughs> let's let's get him on the case. He'll sort this one out. On the case. So that's bad. <laughs> After the bombing, with her unable to do as much organizing, more women stepped up to take her place. Uh, just an astounding number of women showed up to organize from all over the West Coast to make sure that Redwood Summer happened. And they're stepping up into roles as needed because not only is Judy busy, but so are basically, well, like most of the existing organizers are busy because they're busy now supporting Daryl and her on medical and legal fronts because, you know, they're, and like all the press shit about like Earth first is mad bombers. or Like like from now, it's so obvious it wasn't Judy Berry blowing herself up right but at the time they don't have any of that information they yeah. don't have any of the publicly accessible documents they don't have yeah it's right story completely unfamiliar to the modern audience in the end uh redwood summer was organized by about three quarters women of which judy berry was too hospitalized and arrested to be one of and redwood summer was a success but not what the activists had hoped um but the fact that they pulled it off is a huge fucking win for decentralization for creating a leaderful yeah. movement right and past actions had had upwards of 150 people at, you know, Redwood blockades and things. Redwood summer actions drew like 3,000 people. But it was fewer people than they hoped for and more devastating still because of all the culture war shit and the framing of Judy Berry for her own bombing, Proposition 130 failed. 52% of people voted against it, 48% for it. Oh, man. Its opponents mostly used... Don't give in to the evil eco-terrorists like Judy Berry who hate our rural way of life and are trying to blow everything up or whatever. I, 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 wonder, I, wonder, I wonder where we've seen this narrative since then, huh? That's, that's, Nowhere. That's odd. Yeah. C- curious. Yeah. Curious stuff. Go ahead. What's the one that... I mean, we're, 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 mm-hmm. we're, just, even, we're just even seeing like ripples of this style of, of propaganda mm-hmm. in Atlanta. Yeah. Like, there's, there's, you know, framing, framing like lethal force encounters... Um, and using that to try to, like, yeah. with the state controlling all of the narrative around that to try to make it seem like, oh, everyone involved in this campaign is a terrorist from out of state, and yep. trying to like trying to drum up people who live in the area to turn against what 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 is a very popular movement. Yeah, and that's actually, I mean, that's that's why I wanted to, you know, I always knew I was going to be talking about Judy Berry, but the reason I was like, I'm doing this now is because of all the shit happening in Atlanta, and like, I feel like there's a lot. It's not just like, oh, I think people should learn from this. Although I think that's true, right? But there's also a lot to be like proud of and to see where we come from as a movement 
you know, and to see no, that we it's, like it's, come from strong fucking people and we are strong yeah. fucking people. And looking, looking, looking at the past is like, yeah, the level of resiliency that we've seen yeah. in the past and the way that continues now, it's, 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 it's good to know your own history. Yeah, exactly. And within a year, Judy and Daryl bring suit against the FBI, claiming that they'd maliciously fucked up the investigation and unlawfully arrested them. Especially because of this lawsuit, they avoided speculating too hard about who bombed them, right? Because of the sure, lawsuit yeah. in progress, and they don't want to fuck it up by running around and being like, it was whatever. If, 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 you, if you say, like, it was the FBI, as you're trying to sue the FBI, that can be used against. Yeah, yeah. That, that, is, that is the smart way to go about things. Yeah. The way I understand it, the most plausible thing, I am not making an accusation here, the most plausible thing is that the FBI planted the bomb or convinced an informant to. I, you know, I'm not going to make a guess about uh, who among, who might have been the informant or whatever. It's also possible that it was a random crank, and that's just a really fucking weird coincidence that it's right after all of our political enemies had a how to blow up a car with someone in it training. And there's some conspiracy theorists too, because of course there are, the evidence for the conspiracy theories seems to boil down to that meme that's like, source, I made it up. I made it up. Yeah. Judy doesn't think it's a coincidence that the bombers targeted a woman. Uh, here's a quote from her about that. I believe that the reason I was subjected to such excessive violence is, was not just that I, what I was saying, but the fact that a woman was saying it. I recently attended a workshop in Tennessee on violence and harassment in the environmental movement. There were 32 people in the circle drawn from all over the country as we each told our tale, I was struck by the fact that the most serious acts of violence had all been done to women. But whoever bombed her, Judy survived. She got back to organizing. She moved away from Frontline's work a lot because of her injuries and moved to a remote cabin with her daughters. Um, but all the attention helped her network and organize. Soon the demos became massive civil disobedience. This was like celebrities and shit. Joan Baez, Bonnie Raitt, Woody Harrelson, who's an anarchist, climbed the Golden Gate Bridge with, a nor with North Coast Earth First to drop a banner that said, her wits aren't ancient redwoods more precious than gold. I did not know this. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah. There's footage of it, too. Um, there's footage of the banner, and there's footage of him getting arrested. Judy Berry kept up her radio show and speaking and organizing. Um, I, I don't know at what point she stopped being a construction worker, but I've read somewhere that it was around this time that she wasn't able to be a construction worker. It and sounds so she, like that would have been hard hard to do with injuries. Yeah. yeah. So she becomes a paralegal. And I have seen several people who um, are targeted by the state for violence and unlawful arrest and all that shit become legal workers, whether like go to law school or become paralegals. It's a very yeah common career path. And it fucking rules. It's noble as hell. You know, being like, I went through some shit. I'm going to fucking help people. Absolutely. She was involved in a fight for what, in 1997, uh, became the Headwaters Forest Reserve, another 3,000 or so acres of old-growth forest, with another 3,000 or so acres buffer zone around that old-growth forest. Uh, I listened to a speech from after this point where she talks about, she's really excited about this tactic that people have started doing, where they start wrapping all the trees in yarn, um, in acrylic yarn, because it gums up chainsaws. Huh. I have never, I've never heard of this. Yeah. I would never advocate anyone do anything, but you know, there's a, if you listen to the album, who bombed Judy Berry, um, there's a lot of her speeches on it. It's like, if, if you want a really quick, I just want to listen to some Judy Berry and I don't want to read a whole ass book or whatever. Just listen to who bombed Judy Berry. There's a couple like clever songs. 
where she's like, the FBI won't give me my fiddle back. And, uh, but it also has a lot of her speeches and shit. And she's a fucking good, um, she's good at what she does. But in 1996, she was diagnosed with inoperable breast cancer. In her case, chemo would extend her, would have extended her life only a matter of months. So she refused it. It wasn't a like, it wasn't like a, a hippie thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. She kept up her paralegal work and her radio show, but she dropped everything else. As she was dying of cancer, she got letters of well-wishing and support even from her opponents, uh, such as like the count- county's district attorney and some other state officials who had lost their fam- who had also lost family to breast cancer. And Judy said this about it. I was totally cynical, but then I realized their acts were reaching down to a deeper level of humanity, and I appreciate that. One of her last quotes was, I have no regrets at all, except getting into that car in Oakland. Just, I don't know, I think it's funny. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) On March 2nd, 1997, she died at home. A thousand people came to her memorial service. And Daryl Cherney continued their lawsuit against the feds and made gain after gain in proving their bias. Like, the feds kept trying to squash it on, like, random things. And then just, like, it it was so fucking obvious the FBI was lying and being terrible that the judge just kept throwing out all the FBI's motions. But it took a long time and a fuck ton of work. It finally went to trial in 2002. And they won. And they won a $4.4 million settlement to Daryl and to Judy's estate. Um, by the end, the feds and Oakland PD were both trying to blame each other, like as like the whole ship is sinking, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because divide and conquer goes both ways. And we tend to think of the state as this monolithic thing, and it is not. And it's, it's it's these little these little clicks. I mean, yeah. kind of in some ways similar to how like anarchist movements operate. Yeah. It's it's these it's these little clicks that are always vying for more control and more power. Yeah. Um <laughs> Like you, we even in in Atlanta, it's it's funny to listen to scanner audio of like Atlanta police and DeKalb County police arguing about who can do what when they're trying to do a raid, and it's like it's 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 these it's these little it's these little people trying to trying to exert as much control as they personally can. Yeah, and man, you know what's so funny is that it was really effective against our movements to sow division. But anyway, one juror came out of the court and told the press a bit later after the gag order lifted. And basically it was like, it was so fucking obvious the cops were lying. Just was like going on about being like, oh my God, none of us believed them. They are so obviously lying because they kept up the same lies to the end. Like they, it was like 12 (laughs) years later and they were like, they knew the bomb was in their car because it was on the back seat and they put their instruments on top of it. Even though all material evidence had disproven this 12 years earlier. It's like they they just, they just. Just you know, we know when you like, you know when you've been like caught in a lie, but you're like still trying to like get out of it, but like with like little tiny weasel ways, but you like you you can feel the walls closing in. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Stick to your story, kids. I guess. Yeah, (laughs) Um, because they had testified that that you you can't. You know, they had like said no, this is true, so they can't like perjure themselves yeah or <laughs> admit they perjured themselves yeah yes exactly uh, they, yes. they absolutely could perjure themselves they did so and on may 20th 2003 the oakland city council declared may 24th to be judy berry day in the city really yeah huh. um and i know that some people still go and uh go to the spot where it happened uh every every may 24th 
Her work can be remembered in a thousand ways, but one of the most important was the class consciousness that she brought to Earth first. And people kept and keep fighting for the Redwoods. In 1998, uh, I mentioned this in the Chico Mendes episode, unfortunately, too, an Earth firster named David Chain was killed by a logger who more or less intentionally dropped a tree on him. Yep. Between 1997 and 1999, the most famous tree sitter, this person doesn't die, uh, the most famous tree sitter, Julia Butterfly Hill, lived in a 200-foot, 1,000-year-old redwood for 738 days until they finally were like, all right, fine, we won't fucking cut it and we'll create a 200-foot buffer around it. Will you please come down and stop making hippies love your cause? And um, that's fucking cool. And the campaign against Judy Berry, the campaign against her, did not stop with her death. That's so fucking gross. It's so gross. In 2005, a biography came out about her and it was published by Encounter Books. Encounter Books is a right-wing nonprofit publishing house that is based on a magazine that the CIA funded in the Cold War. What? What the fuck? And this is not conspiracy talk. That's from their about page. No, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure this bio, I'm sure this biography was heavily vetted, full of, full of reliable sources. Oh yeah, they didn't interview like a single person who was friends with Judy Berry. They only interviewed all the people who hate her. They just like interviewed her enemies yeah. and be like, "Hey, here's a biography." And it's like a smiling picture of her on the front. It's like presented as if it's a regular biography. It's not like. The evil uh, Marxist terrorist who, I don't think she was a Marxist, but the evil eco-terrorist who tried to, you know, whatever. Um, yeah. The, the same house publishes attack biographies of like Anita Hill and Hillary Clinton. One of their current bestsellers is BLM, The Making of a New Marxist Revolution, but they, they mean it in a bad way. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> so they paid an author named Kate Coleman. This is... What I was read people say as true, Sue Happy Publishing House, they probably paid an author named Kate Coleman about $10,000 to write the biography. Apparently, she admitted this when people came to her talk because she tried to give a fucking talk in the Bay and people were like, Fuck in the, you. in the bay yeah. Great, yeah great great choice yeah judy's friends were in the crowd with like signs that said lie and they would just hold up the sign that says lie anytime she would tell a lie <laughs> that's great i know that's that's see that that is like that 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 is extremely effective non-violent praxis no totally and then you know and i was talking to when people did it and she was like yeah we did it because like that way we weren't uh being loud and disruptive you know but apparently while confronted at one of these talks she admitted to being paid but to write this biography. That, that is where I'm drawing that from. Okay. Other than this book, she's written dozens of books. They're all... <laughs> I bet they're all... I bet they're all bangers. They are all... I don't know if you'll see this one coming. Poorly reviewed romance novels with Photoshop covers. I mean, yeah, that, that kind of <laughs> does drag. It's like the grocery store yeah. romance cover with the, with the, the ripped guy with shirtless and a woman but, with like loose clothing, like grasping his leg or something. It's the knockoff version of that. Okay. It is the, it is the, like, look at Kate Coleman's uh, Goodreads. Uh, I'm go- I'm You're not even going to find it on Amazon, but she has dozens on Goodreads. And they're all like the last Duchess, the Duchess cometh. I don't know. I, I can't remember the name of the fucking books. Uh, Sophie has clearly found it and is giggling. 
Kate Coleman. Seven deadly sins of women in leadership. Oh, that's her. Is that unintended the, duchess. Is that, is that the same Kate Coleman? I, I checked. Seven years for a duchess. Dance for the duchess. A lot the of deserving duchess. duchess. Yeah. Wager for a duchess. Louisa's lessons, Elizabeth's colors, Duchess Duchess in in waiting, the Duchess Duchess returns, returns. the Duchess chronicles, (laughs) Duchess bride, the widow Duchess, the destitute Duchess, Duchess in ruins, and they all have like Duchess journals, the fugitive Duchess, two point five star Duchess in ruins. Gare, I'm looking at all of them. There's like. This this got to be like over 30, 30 Duchess books here. Kate Coleman, <laughs> if there's two of you and you're not the one who wrote the attack biography, I am so sorry, but I did check and it is like a Goodreads verified thing. It's just that the one book is so out of line with all the rest that that's why I double checked. Yeah, that is weird. Fair. But yeah, well, and, and the bad reviews. Yeah, the bad. The, re- the secret wars of of, of Judy Berry. The bad reviews aren't for I hate this person's politics. The bad reviews are like this wasn't really a book. <laughs> this read like an outline instead of a book. Yeah. And unfortunately, uh the attack biography seems to be one of the main sources for Judy's Wikipedia page, which focuses That's... on her as like a contentious person that everyone was afraid of and all this shit. It's not the only attack book that someone was hired to write about Earth first. It's one of these movements that has had an incredible impact on society that's like hard to get objective writing on because of how many people have been paid to fucking slander it. But I'm going to leave you with one last Judy Berry quote. History will remember people who destroy bulldozers as heroes. You win a lawsuit to stop a logging plan, then the timber company files an identical plan the very next season. Besides sabotage, what else is left? And that is not an accurate summation of like the whole of her work or whatever, but I think it's always yeah. worth understanding that. Well, one of Earth First strengths, I was talking to my friend about this earlier. One of Earth First strengths is they are not a sabotage organization and they do a lot of stuff that like super cool radicals would consider like boring and liberal. They do a lot of lawsuits. They do a lot of like gathering what where there are nests of different animals in the forest in order to save timberlands. But the thing that makes them, I think, resilient is exactly this celebration of a diversity of tactics. Because you can't draw a line between people if everyone recognizes that all the tools in the toolbox are valid. Um, and obviously some people do draw lines at like, some people draw the lines at actions that hurt working class people, you know? But that's not sabotage. No, no. I mean, yeah, that diversity of tactics is the... It's When consistently employed, you, you do see, like, measurable wins. There, there's been very good work done by uh, Cascadia Forest Defense, yeah. uh, which is a, a, a de- decentralized collective of people. Um, we've interviewed them a few times on It Could Happen Here. But they've done very good work getting getting uh, using a combination of direct action and the court system to shut down logging in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. In in Atlanta, we're seeing people employ tactics tactics of sabotage. There are there are like construction equipment that does spontaneously burst into flames. It's a shoddy uh, manufacturing. So so true. <laughs> um but there's there's also like people like yeah, organizing neighborhood groups. Yeah. 
there's people trying to pressure the construction companies and the contracting companies to drop out of the project. And that, that has, that has produced like measurable successes. Uh, it, it is a large, a, a large diversity of tactics is almost like a cliche saying at this point, but it like, it's true. Like it is, it, it, it is something that is, that is, uh, shown, shown to have successes. It's, it's like, how we especially win. Yeah. in ecological movements. Yeah. And it, and and I think that and it really does go both ways. It, it involves respecting the people who do things that you find boring, and it involves respecting people who do things that you are like, oh, that's going to alienate everyone. Well, like historically, it, sometimes, but more often than that, diverse tactics make strong movements, and strong movements are harder to disrupt with COINTELPRO type tactics, and. The fact that Earth First is still around 43 years in after decades of attempts to destroy it is fucking saying something. That's my earnest, uh, earnest summation. No, and, and like not not every campaign they're involved with is going to be successful by no. any means. But that that's that's not how you measure this. <laughs> that's not how you measure like success when you're trying to you know save the planet from ecological collapse on a global level. Yeah. Well, listener, if you want to save, that's my plug, get involved in some shit. Like, if you're trying to figure out what to do with your life, go get involved. Don't, I'm not telling you to go do, go do crime. Specifically, do not go do crime at anyone you hear in your fucking earphones telling you to go do crime. But movements, social movements, could probably use you. And, um, uh, is a and there's ways if if movements that believe in diversity of tactics also have a lot of different ways to to get involved. No, yeah the the onboarding process for diversity of tactics movements is a lot more manageable than something that's like we explicitly only do crimes and we only allow people who want to do <laughs> big crimes, <Yeah. laughs> which in general is a little bit less sustainable, and the crackdown against it can be a little uh, a little. A little more targeted, I, yeah. I, I suppose, because th there still is crackdowns against large, diverse movements. But the more people involved, in some ways, the safer everybody is. Well, and a crackdown. I mean, I know that's probably not the etymology of crackdown, but it, like literally, they try and create cracks. And the way they do it is they take the like, well, we know you're a good protester, and you would never support people who throw a water bottle at a cop. You know, and like the more that you're like, yeah, I'm a good protester. I'm here with a sign, whatever. That's like my thing. I don't do all the dangerous shit because I'm fucking, it's not my thing. But those people are also like on my side too. Like if someone breaks a bank window yeah. and you're like, well, I wish that they hadn't broken a bank window. I'm like, yeah, but which person do you care more about? The person who is fighting against capitalism or the CEO of the bank. Or the window <laughs> of, the, of the bank. Yeah. yeah, like exactly. Sure. No, yeah. yeah. And, and Or the and CEO. The, the more people, and the, the more people holding signs, the safer it is for the for the person yeah. who decides that hey, I'm angry that the cops killed somebody. I'm going to smash this bank window. Yeah. And so the, the the more people who are who are willing to stand there holding up banners, holding up signs, it's it it creates it creates a scenario that allows people to employ a diversity of tactics in a much more broad way. And yeah, n no action is too big or too small. You don't know what the ripple effects yeah. of of any individual thing is is gonna is gonna turn out to be. I, I, I do think it is it is a little upsetting that I I I knew that there was like a car bombing incident mm -hmm. against an Earth First activist in the nineties, 
but it is a little upsetting how little I knew about this story and this person. Yeah, honestly, I was because Judy Barry's story was like such a big part of when I first got involved in Earth First. Um, but I also like, you know, I got involved like I was at a celebration for when the lawsuit won. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it, so it's something that we need to we need to keep aware of, you know, and we can we can learn from history. We shouldn't get mired in history, um, but we can learn from it. Well. Any other plugs? Huh? Well, nothing besides, I guess, like the fight continues. <laughs> like this type of stuff that people are doing in the eighties, you you see you see ripples of that of that same fight now. Um, when we were talking about like old growth forests in the first episode, mm-hmm. I think this is this is one kind of one narrative we've seen try to try to get used against uh, people doing forest defense in in uh in atlanta yeah. is that the the the, the forest slated it's not it isn't an old growth forest so it's fine it's 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 fine to chop it down yeah where do they think old and growth this, comes from <laughs> exactly it's like like the east coast has already been like completely decimated by all of its old growth forest yeah. and you think it's just you just it just isn't gonna like grow back itself you know just one day an old an old growth forest will just pop into existence yeah uh no like it's it needs to survive and the fact that like young forests are so different than than o- old growth forests, but that doesn't mean they're worse. They're just different. Yeah. Like it is, it is, it is a different type of beautiful walking through the Walani forest versus walking through than walking through a forest in the middle of the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. It's it's it, it it has a different atmosphere. It has a different vibe. The the forest in Atlanta is like this weird resilient punk forest. You like trees like desperately trying to crawl out of yeah. the clay for life. And it's cool, and they should be able to continue growing. Yeah. So, just a, a, as we're talking about a lot of like old growth stuff today, I think it's it's important important to mention that you know that shouldn't be the single barometer of if if a forest should be protected is old growth, yes or no. It's like no, totally. it's a fucking it's it's one of the it's it's the biggest remaining forest in the city of Atlanta. Yeah, like no, totally old growth. Like absolutely no, don't fucking cut old growth. And then, like, what you do cut, yeah, shouldn't be in the middle of the city so that you can build a place for cops to practice murdering people. Like, anyway, probably everyone who's listening knows that, but. Well, hope, hopefully a few a few more might, um, and the stuff will continue. Even if you can't make it to the week of action, there's yeah. st- stuff, st- stuff will continue. And the, the type of repression we're seeing now the repression is a sign that the movement is winning, as you can see with some yep. of the, a lot of the stuff in the in the eighties in the eighties and nineties. Repression starts intensifying the moment that people in power realize, oh, oh no, yeah, they might actually win this one. Yeah. <laughs> so stuff is going to continue past the week of action. There will probably be future weeks of action. There is this summer will be a very important turning point as as uh, land disturbance permits are kind of like. We are we are waiting to see like the final final ones get issued, and yeah, the the more people that comes down, the the safer everybody is. It's the it's the only way to beat the panopticon is that everyone all goes at once. Um, and if you're not going, so yeah, support the people who are. And but this is just a history podcast. I don't know what you're talking about. We just talk objective objective facts about some stuff from back in the day that have no relevance to the present. This is this is this is one of the weird things that I was <laughs> thinking about as as I was in a as I was in Atlanta last time is that people don't sometimes realize that like 
they're living through history. Yeah. Like, yeah, totally. Th- they are mm-hmm. living. They are living through the things that will be talked about in this way in thirty years, yeah. and that is a weird thing to go through. Yeah. And realize like the actions you take have impacts beyond the here and now that you can't even imagine. Yeah. How do you want to sound when you're on Cool People Who Did Cool Stuff as a subject? That's what everyone needs to think. What would Margaret Kiljoy make of me? No, don't do that. Never mind. Before before you throw that Molotov, think, what will Margaret Kiljoy say about this in 20 years? Will she will she critique my arc on this? Should I do 40, 45 degrees or 30 degrees? Which one will she prefer? It's so optimistic that we'll all be here. Anyway, uh, but we will be here next week with more cool people who did cool stuff. Cool People Who Did Cool Stuff is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more podcasts on Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Infinity Presents, a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom. Whether you want to enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas, and more, cheap Caribbean vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book using our exclusive budget beach finder or find a featured all-inclusive package to Hyatt Ziva Riviera Cancun at CheapCaribbean.com. That's CheapCaribbean.com. Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable.